morning, golden bell, and hello to all of my fellow Americans out there. This is the host who loves you the most, Luke Throop, here on a fine, fabulous, and funny Friday morning, friends. Uh, today, I'm going to do a little bit of making fun of myself. You know, I think it's good and healthy to be able to laugh at ourselves sometimes. So bear with me as I tell you a little bit more, expose some of the inner workings of this philosophical peasant you happen to be listening to right now. Because it's kind of a funny story. But first, up first, recent polling indicates that almost 98 million people still believe that Joe Biden is doing a great job as sock puppet in chief. For all the math lovers out there, that's 37.5% uh, of the approximately 290 million adults in the country. But can you believe it? 98 million people believe that Joe Biden is doing a great job. <laughs> you know, I would like to laugh at these morons, but first, I need to laugh at myself, so let me tell you a story, okay? I've got a book on my shelf titled The uh, the, Cult the Dictionary of Cultural Literacy. I'm holding it up here for the Patriot Club. And now, to be honest, I've never actually read it. <laughs> yeah, I, I flipped through it a few times, but I've never actually read it. Because, I mean, come on, who reads a dictionary? Especially the Dictionary on Cultural Literacy. Uh, it was published in 1988, and it covers everything from idioms and fine arts to literature and world history, and tucked in the pages between Ivory Towers and Iwo Jima, there's an entry on the Ivy League institutions that comprise the heart of, uh, of America's academic elite. And if only I had read that yesterday, right? Okay, so I'm sure probably some of you yesterday were laughing at me, and I hadn't quite learned why yet, but last night, as my wife and I were debriefing about the day, she happened to pull up the Banks, Tanks, and Biden's Blender article, and we're sitting on the couch together, she paused and kind of had this look of amusement on her face, then she looked right at me, directly into my eyes, with love in her eyes, and she said, sweetheart, it's Ivy League, not Ivory League. <laughs> oh, man, we laughed, we laughed. You know, here's the truth. Growing up in a plywood shack in the Alaskan wilderness, I knew I was culturally challenged. Didn't get out a lot. Well, I got outdoors a lot, but didn't have the uh, all the cultural experience that many people did, right? So uh, we didn't have running water, electricity, you know, let alone TV. So my early life taught a lot of lessons. Uh, though at that time, none of those really seemed to be relevant to the hustle and bustle of big city living or the apparent prestige of higher education. Uh, in fact, in my early life, I scoffed at all those educated idiots who were uh, choosing to live like sardines packed into these tiny apartments all enchanted by the commerce of the concrete jungle. You know, come on, who wants to live like that? You know, that was not a version of reality that I personally preferred. Instead, I liked it. I liked the wild. I like to be wild because I'm a wild at heart. And... Standing in front of a lowly swamp, you know, out on the Kenai Peninsula, there's lots of swamps. Uh, of course, the peninsula is surrounded by water on three sides. You get lots of snow and the snow melts. Anyway, there's just a lot of swamps. Anyway, standing by a lowly swamp, you know, out tromping through the woods and exploring the great outdoors, I was always captivated by nature. I felt connected. I felt alive. And I can remember numerous times, so many times, just looking down at my feet and thinking, you know what? 
I might be the first person ever in all of history to stand right here in this spot and take in this view. And it was just, a, it was kind of a magical thing. And, and, and this sort of unique experience somehow felt just more human to me than being in a concrete jungle. And one of the songs that blared through the, uh, throughout the soundtrack of my coming of age was, Despite all my rage, I'm still just a rat in a cage. You know, a little smashing pumpkins. And I knew, I knew then at a young age that I did not want to be a rat in a cage, nor would I ever be a rat in a cage. I vowed <laughs> not to be a rat in a cage because there's more to life than just money. Not all who wander are lost. And I never did resonate with those orange-haired fellas singing about suicide. Now, if you guys catch that, you guys know that reference. Now, I figured that the people in the cage didn't realize they were trapped, right? As I'm walking around through the swamps and the woods, I'm thinking about these things. And I, I, they hadn't noticed that the door was open and that nature was always there, always waiting to impart wisdom, always waiting to reset perspective and soothe the soul. I knew that that was true because that's what nature had done for me. Instead, you know, the people that were in the hustle and bustle in the rat race, you know, stuck in the cage, so to speak, they were too busy. They're too caught up in the illusion of importance, not realizing that we're all just dust in the wind. All we are is dust in the wind. <laughs> I won't sing too much, guys. But like a flower blooming, our lives start small and unassuming, and we reach a blossoming of beauty and potential at some point in life and then slowly fade and fall to the ground, returning to the source of all that is. We live. We die. And I was good with that. I still am good with that. You know why? Because nobody's going to get out of here alive, right? So early on, I decided that I was going to live life according to my own terms, sensing that there was something more. I was determined to break out through to the other side and taste for myself that profoundly sweet experience of being at one with life itself, absorbed by the peace and joy that magically arises when we bask in the glory of simply being alive. Life was too short to waste it in a cage, is what I'm trying to say, you know. Of course, my pie in the sky pontificating and philosophical proclivities were quickly tempered <laughs> by the tempest of life. You know, nature is in fact brutal. The laws of physics are ruthless. People are crazy. Bad things happen and life is not fair. But it is fundamentally good. Life is fundamentally good. I know that. I've known that through and through. And that fact that life is fundamentally good, it allowed me to trust. It led me to faith, which I say following an intuitive trusting heart. And it fueled hope, which for me was holding optimistic perspective eternally. <laughs> it doesn't matter how bad it gets. You know, I can, I've got faith, I've got hope, and I follow an intuitive, trusting heart, and holding optimistic perspective eternally, you know. But none of that, friends, none of that stopped me from being a complete and utter fool. Okay, maybe if I had an Ivy League education. <laughs> I'm just joking. Anyway, you know, ultimately this. Raw intelligence does not prevent stupidity any more than education leads to wisdom. I'll say it again. Raw intelligence does not prevent stupidity any more than education leads to wisdom. Why? Because we're all human. 
And we each have a limited subjective experience and a finite cognitive capacity that limits our scope of comprehension. That's just part and parcel. That's part of the package. Okay? Each of us can only understand so much because we can only take in so much and because we can only, you know, we only have so much life experience at, through which to filter and make sense of things. We can only consider so much. Our minds can only be so uh, crammed so full before the brain begins to selectively dismiss new information. This is, again, it's all part of the human experience. And this is what leads to social conditioning. And that's, you know, it also brings me back to Biden's, Biden's approval rating. How could it be that 98 million people still believe that Joe Biden's doing a great job? How is that possible? You know, social conditioning, selective, uh, our brain just kind of, you know, selectively dismissing that which doesn't fit. Again, it's a human across the board thing. So, anyway, thanks for endearing my philosophical rump, friends. It is Friday, so, hey, what the heck, you know? My whole life, I thought that people who lived in ivory towers had Ivy League educations. I just thought that. So, if there was any, ever any doubt that I was a mere lowly ignorant peasant, that should pretty much clear things up, okay? I, I honestly thought that. I believed that. I, didn't, I never thought to question it. Nobody ever challenged me on it. So, who knows how many countless times in my life I made a fool of myself talking about Ivory League educations when, in fact, it's Ivy League. But, hey, you know what? You learn something new every day, right? So, I didn't know that the Ivy League was a reference to eight of the oldest and most prestigious universities in the country, seven of which were actually founded before the American Revolution. I did not know that. I think that's fascinating. Great. You know, obviously, I haven't watched enough TV and collegiate sports to learn about what really matters in life. So, you know, as I was considering all of this and kind of like, how am I going to, I want to talk about this you know i want to share this story because it's a learning opportunity for myself to learn uh to to say what you know i've always said hey if you're wrong say you're wrong hey i was wrong it's not you know my wife pointed out the fact that it's not the ivory league education it's the ivy league okay great you know and i can think oh my gosh i'm a fool oh i gotta go delete everything and make it go away so nobody can laugh at me no that's not my style you know so here's the point of the story friends if you were to read the resumes of the majority of our political leaders, you would find that many of them have Ivy League educations. Or perhaps some lesser scrap of paper that was issued by some other other than Ivy League elite institution. But nevertheless, they're, they're all, it's this elitist academic uh, infusion of progressive conditioning. Now, in fact, people much smarter than me, have studied this phenomenon, and they've drawn the following conclusions. There's a link here in the article that talks about Democrats have an Ivy League problem. And I quote, When compared with Republicans, Democrat presidential campaigns much more narrowly draw their top campaign talent in important areas from a handful of elite and mostly private universities. This matters because those Democrats working to elect presidents often have little in common with the electorate itself. End quote. 
Fascinating. <laughs> Democrat elitists have little in common with the electorate itself. Shocking. <laughs> I mean, can you believe it? You know, perhaps that explains why even though sliding Biden's overall approval ratings continue to plummet, CNN was out just this week indicating that 73% of Democrats still approve of his performance. 73% of Democrats still believe that Joe Biden is doing a great job as president, as the sock puppet in chief. Even though he can't ride a bike, you know, even though he's, you know, constantly putting his foot in his mouth or saying the most outrageous things, they still believe he's doing a good job. Even though inflation is at a 40-year high, we're paying, you know, six bucks a gallon at the pump, you know, even though COVID is spreading like wildfire and monkeypox are on the loose, 73% of the Democrats still approve of his performance. And friends, 62% of Democrats think he's handling the economy just doing a peachy job, you know? <laughs> you know, it is it is astounding. It is shocking. It was the word that was going to come out of my mouth, but I, what's the word for it? Absurd? You know, asinine? You know, I can't I can't quite wrap the head around. These are. Uh, these figures, 73% Democrats approving his performance, 62% Democrats approving his handling of the economy, these figures portray a staggering disconnect from reality. What world do these people live in, you know? And in fact, they live in the ivory towers because they have their Ivy League educations and all that kind of stuff. You know, they live in a carefully crafted, specially curated echo chamber of liberal bias that does little more than bolster their egos, uh, shore up their arrogance and shelter them from reality. So while I may have been ignorant of the history of the Ivy League, I contend that these educated idiots are ignorant of the facts of life, okay? completely detached from reality. They live in the big blue cities. They, they sip their lattes and compare their credentials and discuss the academic minutia of global governance, uh, which is all, you know, of course, too lofty for we peasants to comprehend. This is why they have to take command and control and tell everybody else how to live their lives. These are the bastards that work in plush government offices, collect fat government pensions, and scheme to sustain the status quo. And make no mistake, friends, they are on both sides of the aisle here, okay? But ultimately, these Ivy League academic elites have been they, they bought into the progressive agenda. They believe that progress means a global socialist surveillance state. You know, they, they believe that the few need to control the many because the majority, the masses don't know what's good for them. They believe that they have to, they have to use artificial intelligence to control the narrative and to, to facilitate behavioral change. They believe, you know, in the pedagogical approach to the great revolution. They believe all of this stuff because that's what they've been trained to believe and their brains can only take so much, right? So, anyway, you know, it, <laughs> you know, I believe that the elite education 
has taught them that progress is built on the backs of peasants. And obviously they missed the part where the peasants revolt. <laughs> and history, friends, history plans to this happening soon, I might add. So, anyway, guys, that is, that is the uh, message of my heart for today. It is a fine, fabulous Friday, and it's going to be a wonderful weekend. My encouragement to you is to get outside and soak up some sunshine, live, laugh, and love. You know, spend time with your family and friends. Yuck it up. Have fun. Talk about what's going on, but don't lose sight of the bigger picture that the world keeps turning, the sun keeps shining, and as long as we're alive, we can still give the hugs and the love that make life worth living. Friends, if you're enjoying this podcast, please do me the great honor. Click that little heart and give me some love. Don't forget to subscribe if you have not subscribed already, and please share this with a friend. I hope you have a a wonderful weekend and I'll look forward to talking to you again soon.